Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide, from Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond, here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. We are here with Leyland Rice, who is the founder of Daedalus Global, a market advisory firm focused on emerging markets. He's been on the show before to cover the last Africa FinTech Summit that we did in Lagos. And now the next one is going to be at the U.S. Institute of Peace in Washington, D.C. in a couple weeks. Leyland, how's everything going on your end? Good. Uh, we're sleepless, working around the clock at the moment, but uh, really excited for the event coming up and, and doing well. It's really been cool to see the evolution of your platform. I actually first met you at the first Africa FinTech Summit last year at, at the National Press Club. And uh, it's really cool to see how, how quickly your, your platform has evolved. Can you tell us a little bit about how some of the, the evolution of the summit and, and the content and programming really reflects kind of the, the changes that's happening on the continent right now in FinTech? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's um, gone full circle with you and I because we met at the event in April 2018 here in D.C. And then you came out and attended our the second half of our summit, which was in Lagos in November. Uh, and now you're going to be moderating one of my favorite panels, our blockchain panel, coming up on April 11th here in D.C. The The platform itself has evolved into something that I think is unique in the market. And, and I think the evolution of the platform reflects an evolution in fintech writ large. That's the marketplaces, the regulatory frameworks, the companies themselves. So it's been kind of fun to grow with the ecosystem. And that's one of the things that I hope is reflected in the event. When we started the Africa FinTech Summit, the thesis was FinTech is this ideal win-win situation that doesn't really exist uh, elsewhere, FinTech in, in emerging markets, specific, uh, Africa specifically, you know, where the impact for social and economic development is matched by the potential for profit and business opportunity. But we believe that there was a, a need for greater collaboration among what is a very diverse set of, of stakeholders. You know, bankers and fintech entrepreneurs are very different types of people and uh, don't always travel in the same circles and communicate informally the way that uh, people within a, a typical industry do. And at the same time, regulators are, are often a little bit out of touch with uh, the technology on the ground. They come from a banking or monetary policy background. Investors from around the world are interested in these high growth markets, are interested in these high growth sectors, fintech in Africa being a very uh, acute example of one, but might not always be attuned to the nuances of the different marketplaces, especially in the continent. And so we created the summit as a way to to bring those people together, to create a space where they could all communicate and collaborate and be heard and hear. Since that time, I I think the success that we've had in the two summits last year, the one in April 2018 in D.C. and the one in Lagos, Nigeria in uh, November 2018, I think really underscore the fact that that, that thesis, that principle was on target. Um, we've seen a lot of positive outcomes. We've seen a lot of collaboration come out of that. One thing that's happened to the event now that we're entering into year two, uh, the second annual DC Africa FinTech Summit, is that the event itself is transitioning from, you know, a stage, a platform into uh, an ecosystem building initiative, which is ultimately what we want to do. I think there's plenty of platforms out there for talking heads and for people to to promote the, themselves in that way. But uh, we really want to make this something where 
there's value add uh, in terms of the the collaboration and the content. And so we have this time we have multiple tracks going on at one time. So we have enough sort of scale to where people can pick and choose which sessions that they want to attend. We have some workshops. Aubrey Ruby, the co-founder of Insider, is hosting a workshop, PR and communications for tech founders. You know, so that type of uh, ecosystem building activity is is something that we're working towards and I think will be reflected in this uh, in this edition of the summit coming up. Yep. And ecosystem building is my favorite word. Now, when you when you said before, you know, fintech's a win-win, I think that I think that it is a win-win for all parties, the regulators, the banks, the startups, and the customers, as long as everybody comes to the table with that mindset. And it seems like to me the countries where that's happening, some more so than others, there really is a win-win scenario. But one of the topics that we touched on during the the Lego summit was the fact that startups are not going to disrupt the banks. They're they're too they're really a part of the culture and the infrastructure. And startups are really going to be a, a value add layer on top of the banks and kind of solve some of the issues around economies of scale of the, the typical brick and mortar model that kind of has has plagued and resulted in this this lack of of, of financial inclusion, especially in a market like Nigeria and Ghana and Kenya and, and, and the bigger markets, what countries do you think have done the, the best job really of embracing all, all the stakeholders and, and, and coming together as an ecosystem so far? I'll answer the question about the countries, but I, I want to wholeheartedly agree with the collaboration between banks and fintechs. And I think that's one thing that's reflected in our programming as a summit is this time last year, there was a little more hesitancy. You know, you saw banks seeing fintechs as uh, competition, and there's a little, you know, there's there's been a calming of that feeling, and I think now it's obvious that for banks, fintechs aren't the competition, and for fintechs, fintechs aren't the the competition. The competition is cash, and the competition is financial exclusion, and so banks and fintechs, I think, have um, matured in their partnership models to tackle those two things to move towards cashless models and to boost financial inclusion. We've seen, just in our sort of informal dealing, our anecdotal dealings, um, a much more sophisticated and sort of relaxed and embracing uh, relationship between banks and fintechs and some very cool partnership models evolving from that. And I would say the competition for African startups is actually profitability. Like Just like being on the ground and really trying to understand the the local markets. I mean, it is just so hard to build a profitable company in, or a profitable startup in Africa. There's so many challenges around time and effort you have to put into raising capital to actually being able to figure out like union economics that, that work in Africa. I mean, it's it, it's tough, but there are there are some incredible entrepreneurs out there like uh, like Tayo Avioso, like E, that have done uh, such a phenomenal job and really proved that, that you can build a profitable startup and successfully exit. It's just, uh, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And, and, uh, it is hard, but again, I think that's another thing that's, um, now we're hitting the one year mark for this summit. So it's kind of a good time to reflect on how we've changed and how the market's changed. And I think that's one of the big changes between April, 2018 and today, April, 2019, one, we've seen a lot of marquee headline investments in those startups which I think has boosted confidence and always has a knock-on effect in terms of, of further deal flow and follow-on investments. So you mentioned Global Innovation Fund, their investment in Tayo, and Stripe's investment in Paystack, 
and Flutterwave did a Series A. Like a lot of these really awesome African fintechs have in the last year gotten more funding than they've ever gotten historically. And the other thing is, you know, we saw, we've seen a couple of other moves. Paylater out of Nigeria, also known as OneFi, recently acquired Amplify, another fintech. So I think we're seeing, that's not an exit per se. You know, one of the sort of things investors always said when they speak about tech in Africa broadly was, you know, one of their concerns is the lack of exits. The depth of capital markets isn't there to see an IPO exit, and there wasn't a big recorded exit. But I think you'll see, we're starting to see bigger ticket investments, investments deeper in the company structure, and waves of sort of consolidation and acquisition that are proxies for exits that will make the marketplace more attractive for investors. So that's been an evolution we've seen over this last year, I think. And I actually anticipate seeing a lot more corporate venture capital from the West and China flowing more into Africa to make strategic acquisitions to the to the startups that are able to achieve scale and are able to build out a significant enough of a distribution network. Like I think Stripe is a perfect example. And I think this Uber, uh, this Uber acquisition of Kareem, I mean, I think it's a really big deal for startups in emerging and frontier markets. Just my, you know, this is just my opinion. I think we're going to see a wave of the big startups in uh, in the West, like Uber, WeWork, Airbnb, start to look to enter these markets by either acquiring majority stakes in in, in this in a Series A or Series B round, or just buying up companies as a way to enter these markets. Do you feel like there are certain dogmas, or has anything that just keeps being said over and over again amongst the venture capital community looking to come into Africa? Uh, is there anything that you you disagree with? Like for example, like this past blockchain bubble, uh, everyone kept saying that the the opportunity, like the the trillion do- dollar opportunity, is the underlying infrastructure play, right? Everyone said that. Everyone said that. And then after the bubble burst, people are changing that thesis, right? And so, is there anything in the African market right now that you keep hearing that you actually don't agree with? Huh. That's a that's a great question. You know, one thing is, <laughs> this is probably like um, not the most political thing for me to say on the air, but uh, a lot of those big ticket investments or sort of those series A investments that we were talking about, a lot of those fintechs on the receiving end of the capital are using that capital to expand to new markets outside of Africa. Um, So I hate to call names, but, um, you know, like Paga wants to now go into Mexico, go into Indonesia. There are a bunch of other companies that have have gotten funding rounds of 10 plus million dollars who are now looking at Mexico, Indonesia, markets that are in some ways demographically analogs to Nigeria, for example. I question that dogma. I think there is a lot of market to be covered in Africa. Um, I think that the those international markets... Um, have very different dynamics, cultural and otherwise, even though demographically look similar. And I think with the potential ratification of the uh, Continental Free Trade Agreement and other sort of trade blocks and, and economic integration that's happening on the continent, I think the opportunity is on the continent. And so I kind of question the dogma of African fintech scaling up beyond Africa rather than cover, right. covering markets they haven't touched in, on the continent. Well, maybe it's a play to diversify the risk, and it may be just like trying to combat investor perception of if you're if you're just in Nigeria, 
like all, all, all your political and, and social economic risk is, is contained within Nigeria where like, it's, it's such a big market. Like there, there aren't any startups out there, even, even like the most successful ones that have captured the entire market, but it's much, it's much more sexy for uh, a startup who's raising like a series B or a series C to approach an investor and say, uh, we're actually in these seven markets, right. Versus like we're, we're, we're in Lagos and we're growing, uh, we're growing quickly, but we're, we're just in Legos. Definitely more sexy. Uh, and it might be a, you know, a, you know, it might be a strategy aimed at a series right. B or a series C or like broader funding appealing to a broader investor base, but sexy is not a, a good enough reason by itself. The argument that it's about diversification is a, is a really good argument. You know, the counter to that is there's enough, uh, diversification on the continent itself politically and currency wise and economically. But yeah, yeah, those are two really good points. And so w- would you split up international expansion by region? Say you win Nigeria or you, you know, you, you get some good traction, Nigeria is a market. Like, do you think that the company should automatically look to other West Africa countries or do you kind of look Africa as a, a holistic view and it's, it's really, you know, they, they should just expand on a market by market basis no matter what? Um, I think the ones that are going to succeed at expanding continent-wise or scaling up beyond borders within Africa are the ones that have deep knowledge and networks within the markets where they're going and are doing it deliberately uh, rather than just you know expanding West Africa just because you're a West African company or something like that. Yeah, but do, do you think fintechs that are raising the most of the capital right now are focusing too much on, like, you know, we'll say the big five of Kenya, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa. Like, do you think there's a lot more opportunity in some of these smaller African countries that is, is getting overlooked right now? Because most of the most of the funding is, is getting a little bit top heavy. I don't know if you're, you're seeing the same stuff. Yeah, it's certainly focused on the, the, those countries. There's obviously the potential for risk adjusted returns in the high growth countries that are being overlooked. A lot of people point to Cote d'Ivoire or Senegal. Ethiopia is obviously a, a hot point now that the financial markets are liberalizing, the, the banking sector is liberalizing. You know, those markets, there's a reason why everyone's going to Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, and Ghana, and, and Rwanda is because there's track records of success, particularly around fintech. There's going to be some winners and a lot of losers when you expand outside those markets. So it's all, all risk-adjusted returns, but I would not discount those countries I just yeah. mentioned, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, yeah. Uh, Ethiopia. Yeah, I need, I need to make it out to Ethiopia. I've been hearing a lot of exciting stuff from there. I have not been spending enough time in East Africa lately, but the one country that I did just kind of learn about and discover the opportunity there is Botswana. I, I attended an event at the Ronald Reagan Building here in D.C. a couple months ago, and there was a presentation on on Botswana, and I mean, I, I had no idea how well run of a country they were, and how how quickly their GDP is growing. Botswana is such a cool story as a country, like the way they've managed their diamond wealth. It runs counter to a lot of uh, perceptions that people have about African countries and and natural resources. Yeah, and I, I did see that Botswana was going to be the first country to actually give a, a private sector loan to another African country. I don't know if that was actually true or, f- or fake news. Um, but I, I, I did read an article about that. It actually surprises me now that I've done my research on Botswana and kind of, uh, have seen like, you know, seven, 8% GDP growth every year. And I'm surprised there's not a more attention, more thriving startup scene in, in, in that country. Yeah. I mean, it's a small country. It doesn't have the numbers that an Ethiopia or Nigeria have, but it has 
tremendous political stability uh, this management of its natural resources has been awesome and uh, I didn't know that about investing in other African countries but um, I do know they have one of the you know more significant sovereign wealth funds and so I think that would be a cool trend to watch African sovereign wealth funds writ large sort of reinvesting in African neighbors your latest fintech report for this year is it's still not out yet I believe it's coming out after uh, the conference coming up but is there are there any sneak previews that that you'd be able to give us on on the report? Yeah, so the report's going to be extensive, you know, kind of an 80, 90-page report. It's going to feature a lot of highlights from the April 11 event. There's going to be some announcements around investments, around a new fund, corporate venture fund, some other things that, um, I, you know, I won't... Uh, I won't tease too much here because they're going to be announced at the event, but there's kind of some breaking stuff at the event that's going to be reflected in the report. And beyond that, we're leveraging our network of um, folks to write viewpoints. Uh, so we have a lot of experts sort of writing in on uh, trends that they see in the market, particularly as fintech operators and fintech investors and regulators. So we have a good cross-section of those three types of people writing sort of first person about the trends that they think will uh, define the landscape in the year ahead. We mentioned Aubrey a minute ago. Aubrey, you know, is an awesome writer uh, and Africanist, and she's uh, writing a piece on how early stage or VC investing rises above political risk, and that makes that such a different asset class for the continent. Some really interesting sort of thought leaders writing pieces like that, and we're doing some a lot of market mapping. You know, there's kind of a gap in terms of of knowledge about SMEs in general in Africa. A lot of cool companies are, are working to overcome that gap, like Asoko Insight. Um, but we want to uh, play a role in that. So we've dedicated a lot of time to doing sort of intelligence work behind what funds are, Af uh, are uh, active in Africa, how big they are, what their theses are, um, what their portfolio looks like, and also the startups to watch. Um, and some sort of SME corporate information that uh, is not easily accessible otherwise. So those are kind of the highlights. I've become super fascinated by this um, this this concept of aggregating data on on SMEs because it, you you really have to be on the ground to understand one how prevalent they are and really how how informal everything really feels with like the the shops and the, the SMEs that seems mostly deal in cash or just kind of on the side of the road a lot of times. And it, it feels really informal, but it's such a big part of the actual economy and the actual way that, that people make money. One of the most impactful things that can happen on the continent, you know, beyond, beyond the leaders fixing the infrastructure and fixing the roads is actually getting more, uh, uncovering more insights and, and data on really this, this SME ecosystem that's formed over the years. And, and I think fintech is going to play a really, really key role in that. I, uh, I agree with you. And uh, to that point, there's one of my favorite panels for the uh, April 11 summit is um, lowering the risk of SME investing, specifically around that. It's kind of one of our more granular topics. You know, we tend to have topics about financial inclusion or venture capital or blockchain. This one is kind of specific about lowering that risk because there's a lot of wealth out there that's particularly like indigenous wealth in Africa that's risk-averse, is not getting channeled into SMEs or into early-stage investments. So we're talking to some people on that panel who have developing platforms or methods to mitigate that risk. Just uh, an example, uh, Greg Cohen from Asoko Insight uh, is going to be on that. And I mentioned Asoko a minute ago. They're an awesome platform that delivers 
SME data at scale uh, to investors, filling a real information gap there. James French, who's a fintech consultant here in D.C. and in South Africa, is developing a big data risk management tool specifically for SME investing on the continent. Uh, Matthew Gamzer, the uh, CEO of SME, the SME Finance Forum from IFC, is going to be on there. Potentially, Oscar and Yema from the Nigeria Stock Exchange will be on there because they're developing a platform uh, designed to channel some of that indigenous wealth or corporate money into SMEs uh, that might not otherwise have the appetite for the risk or the due diligence that's uh, involved in that. Isn't Viola Llewellyn going to be on that panel? Or is that a different one? She is, is going to be on that panel. Yeah, yeah. She's she's on that panel. She's on our, our opening panel and on that panel. She's the only person who has uh, two roles in this event, uh, and I think it speaks to her uh, her acumen. Hell yeah. Dude, I, Va- she's like my favorite person. She's awesome. Yeah, she really is. She's killer. She really yeah, is. she'll be there talking about Ovamba and how that's activating.